All right. Well, we have been uh, in this uh, series we call What We Really Need, where we're looking at uh, various prayers in the New Testament, the places where Paul uh, describes how he's praying for the church. Uh, and today we're coming to this prayer that is in Colossians 1. Uh, 9 through 14, but I thought I would just read, because it really starts in verse 3, uh, with, a, with a Paul describing giving thanks. And uh, in verse 9, he says, for this reason. <laughs> so we need to know what the reason is. So we kind of need to start in verse 3. I just want to read this. <clears throat> we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Uh, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So uh, <clears throat> we wanna begin with what is the reason for this reason, he says in verse 9, we are praying this way for you, Colossians, for a reason. And what is the reason? Well, I think we would summarize the reason like this. Uh, the gospel has come to you and is bearing fruit and increasing. And he says many things that are sort of a way of saying that. He says, we heard of your faith. We started praying for you when we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus uh, uh, and your love for all the saints and the hope laid up for you in heaven, which you heard about in the gospel and the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world, it's constantly bearing fruit and increasing. So the gospel, the reason for this prayer is Paul has learned 
of this group of believers uh, coming to faith and becoming the church. And so this is an appropriate opening for a letter he's writing to this church to tell them that he's praying for them because he's heard about their faith, their love for the church, their uh, hope laid up in heaven, uh, all of these things sort of packaged in the gospel and the gospel's fruitfulness. Uh, it's interesting that it says, it had, it, the gospel's come to you bearing fruit and increasing. Um, <clears throat> so the gospel is producing something uh, and I think it's, it's producing faith in, in the life of the church. It would be the, the, the fruit that Paul has in mind here. So on that basis, he says, we're praying for you. So he says, for this reason, since we, the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask what? What is the central request of this prayer? And it's this, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. <clears throat> um, so we got to talk about what these words mean, will, God's will. Well, God's will is a simple thing. It's uh, what does God want for you or from you? What, is, what does God want for you or from you? Uh, and I don't know, have you ever needed to know what God wants? Every day. <laughs> Here's the thing. You know you need to know what God wants even if you don't feel the need. And that's kind of the point of our teaching series, right? This is something we actually need, even if we don't notice that we need it. Uh, <clears throat> so what does it mean to be filled with this knowledge? Well, first of all, knowledge in this case is uh, a word, it's the word epignosis or epi-knowledge. It means knowledge on knowledge. It means something like a real, full knowledge. And the word gnosis, by the way, is a word that's deeper than just like sort of factual knowledge. You know, it's not just, it's experiential in its nature. Uh, in other words, it's personal. It's uh, intimate, experiential knowledge. It's really knowing. So here's Here's uh, an illustration of this. I uh, know something about how engines work. I have some knowledge of engines. I understand that fuel comes through the valve, the valve closes while the cylinder rises, the spark plug fires, that pushes the cylinder up and down, and that's what makes the this engine go around the piston, thank you. The cylinder, <laughs> the cylinder is the thing the piston is in. <clears throat> the cylinder doesn't go up and down, the piston does. Well, unless you're riding on the on the piston, and then the cylinder's definitely going up and down. But anyway, the 
the, and of course, this this uh, ener this explosion, this energy is transformed then into mechanical energy. So I know something about how an inter internal combustion engine works. I know it's called an internal combustion engine because an explosion is going on inside of it. <clears throat> so I know, I have some knowledge of engines, but I also know somebody who knows engines. Rick knows engines. Rick could build an engine. Like could do all the necessary math to actually design an engine that would actually work. <laughs> and when, uh, when it was, if Rick could walk up to an engine and sort of cock his head and tell you something about whether it's doing right or not. Uh, well, I don't know engines like that. I've never, well, when I was in sixth grade, I took a small engines class and we dismantled a little lawnmower engine and put it back together. So I have that level of experience. Well, Rick has dismantled and assembled, how many engines would you say, Rick? Mm, at my house, I had over 100 engines. <laughs> <laughs> at his house, yeah, yeah. So this is the difference between, this is the depth of knowledge we're talking about. It's, it has to do with hands-on personal experience. Like I know a person. I don't, I don't know about someone. I could know about someone, but I also know the person. Meaning, well, like if they called me on the phone, I'd know who it was when they spoke. That's how would I, how do we come to be able to do that with a person? They call on the phone. Now, of course, the phone tells you who it is, but in the old days, you'd answer the phone, you'd say hello, and they'd say, hey, how you doing? And I'd know who they were. How do I recognize? Well, I have to have had a good deal of experience with them in order to know them that way. This is the sort of knowledge we're talking about here. That we're that Paul is praying that we would be filled with this kind of knowledge, the knowledge that's experiential. It's a a deep comprehension of the shape of God's will. It's not just tell me what you want me to do today, God. It's actually something about me that I've become filled with the knowledge. Like, I understand how God's will operates like Rick understands how engines operate in a much more in-depth way than I do. So I could grow in my knowledge of engines by spending a lot of time with Rick working on engines. I'd rather just go park my engines at his house and see what happens. But anyway, the, I, uh, <clears throat> I can grow in this kind of knowledge by experience, by contact, by being in touch with something. Well, what is it we're being in touch with here? God's will. Well, that's a very interesting thing to know. What does it mean to know what someone wants? Well, so the, everyone here, I know you to some degree or another, and depending on how well I know you, I might also know something about what you would want in any given situation. 
Make sense? So uh, here's the thing I noticed when I was a kid. My parents didn't have to spell everything out because I developed a full knowledge of their will. So I could, in most cases, making a decision, know which, I, usually I would know if they would not approve of this decision. Because I knew them, I knew what they would or would not approve. I knew their will. Well, this is a way of talking about knowing God personally, where we develop such a level of uh, personal relationship with God himself that we have discernment about what he would want in any particular situation. So we're not talking about this sort of shortcut prophetic word thing, which of course God can dispense if he ever needs to, but we're, we're just not talking about any kind of sort of just tell me what you want. We're talking about being filled with an intimate knowledge of what God wants. That's a different kind of thing. Filled is also an interesting word. Here's a cup. It's filled, but it's not full. You could fill it more. If you put more water in it, there would be less air in it. The more it's full of water, the less it's full of air, and vice versa. Whatever it's full of displaces the other things, and that's kind of what's in mind in this word. In other words, as I become, if God answers this prayer of Paul, and we become filled with the knowledge of God's will, that displaces other wills. And perhaps most importantly, mine. <clears throat> Although, here's the thing about God's will. If I really become full of the knowledge of it, I prefer it. I develop a preference because I know God is at least a hundred times smarter than me about my situation. I also know God is actually more interested in what's good for me than I am. God actually has better in mind what would be beneficial for me and everyone else than I do. And so it would be a good thing to displace my will, or let's say conform my will to his. So really what we're talking about is developing a desire for what God wants because we recognize that whatever God wants is better than what I would have otherwise wanted. Oh, well, that changes what I want, doesn't it? It's, it's sort of adjusting our wanting to be in line with his. And as I am filled with the knowledge of his will, what will matters more than his? What will should be heeded more than his. It does. It, it will work backwards. 
If I get focused on what I want, well, I'm displacing his will. Well, that will be really unwise at best. And really unwise at least and dangerously sinful at worst. Well, so there's interestingly, uh, this is so great because this leads us right into the very next thing. So being filled means there's no room for another will. It's a displacement of desire so that I want what God wants and knowing what God wants is more important to me than knowing what I want. Very interesting. Well, there's two aspects here of the knowledge of God's will. He doesn't stop at, I'm praying that you would know God's will. To be filled with the knowledge of God's will in, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now the term that the term spiritual applies to both of the other terms. So it's spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. Well, now this tells me that the knowledge of God's will is a spiritual reality that the Holy Spirit himself might be involved in the response to this prayer. But what we want to think about is what are these two terms, wisdom and understanding? Well, this means that God gives, if we ask the question, how will God fill you with the knowledge of his will? The answer is he will impart to you spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. Okay, so what what do these two words mean, wisdom, understanding? Wisdom is a simple term for practical intelligence. We would use, in, in modern English, we would use the word smart for wisdom. And it has a moral component, of course, because the wise thing is the right thing. But it's a correct application of what's true. Does that make sense? I'm going to say that again because it's kind of important. It's a correct application of what is true. So that if we're going to talk about wisdom and understanding, we've already assumed things are either true or not true. There is such a thing as the truth. Yeah. Correct application of truth. Well, now, if I believe the scripture God's, is God's word and therefore true, I've gotten one giant reason to pay attention to what the scripture says. Because uh, wisdom is the development of the practice of the truth. And truth is practicable. Okay, so if Jesus is the Savior, as the scripture claims, so then what? What, what, How do I live? Well, if Jesus is my Savior, this is just a practical example. If Jesus is my Savior, and there I am therefore really, truly saved, as in I have eternal life, and you can kill me, and it won't kill me. 
then I can practice that truth by being boldly truthful with others about the gospel, about anything. Uh, because I can, I, can be, I can do right even if it's costly because I know I'm safe in Christ. And that's, I'm, this is just a practice of the truth. I have a certain security in Christ that, can't, that no one can mess with. And because I am in this secure position, I can behave in certain ways that I might be afraid of otherwise. I can be more courageous. And courage is a practice of the truth of security. You get the idea? Well, of course, this is huge in terms of the, mag the size of it. Like, name a truth and think about how to practice it. Like, good heavens, it's a giant project that we're talking about to develop spiritual wisdom. I think this is part of why it's important that it be spiritually informed, that it comes from the Word of God, applied by the Spirit of God in the life of the believer. That's why Paul doesn't pray for unbelievers to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. I think he would pray, well, the beginning of that would be for you to trust in Jesus as your Savior. Then we can proceed from there. Well, anyway, the second term here, I like to keep an eye on the clock, but <clears throat> the second term here is uh, spiritual understanding. Oh, I love this word understanding. It's the word sunesis. Sunesis, which we have a word in English that's basically a transplant of this Greek word, and that word is synthesis. You know what synthesis is? I think probably whatever language we speak, we have this word, synthesis, in some form or another. <laughs> what is synthesis? Synthesis is the ability to fit things together, to understand the relationship between things, to understand how this might lead to that, or how this is related to that, to see how it works. This is, this is so, I love the engine uh, illustration for this, right? Because somebody who really knows engines could pick up the piston rod and immediately identify it as a piston rod. Okay. <laughs> is there no such thing as a piston rod? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I should I should have known better. No, but when you have the knowledge about it, like I, I understand what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, but I'll be saying it correctly. Now, but now, Rick Rick could take the engine apart and have it all laid out on the table, and he knows where every one of those parts fits together with the other parts to make something that's an engine. That's an, that ability to synthesize or to see the relationship between one thing and another thing is what we're talking about when we talk about understanding. Now, we're talking about spiritual understanding, uh, and so we're talking about how do I... We, we could even be talking about the understanding of how one aspect of our 
understanding of God fits with another aspect of it. Uh, and or how this passage of Scripture fits in the context of the whole of Scripture. Again, we are talking about a very big project. You are not going to finish this job of developing spiritual understanding, of seeing, for example, I just we were just talking about wisdom, where we said, uh, how do we practice this truth? Well, spiritual understanding is part of that, isn't it? Where I understand that my security in Christ is related to my boldness in my testimony for Christ. And if I'm not bold in my testimony for Christ, perhaps I have a problem with how well am I really getting it about my security in Christ. My security in Christ is just a fact. It just is what it is. If I'm in Christ, I'm utterly secure. But I don't always feel it. So I might be, okay, well now we're talking about an understanding issue. How are these two things related to each other? What's the logic of the Christian life or Christian doctrine or any, and this relates to all aspects of life. So again, we're talking about a huge project. God, this is a spiritual project, so God the Holy Spirit is engaged with us in these things. He's moving us, each of us, according to our need, according to our own, what we've got already, and progressing us in the development of wisdom and understanding. Wow. What a privilege it is to be in a position to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What a, what a great thing. It, this is gospel. This is good news. Because wouldn't it be fantastic to live life from God's point of view? That's what we're talking about. I mean, could you do any better than that? No. And it would be, it's like, oh, yeah, I really need this. You know, I wasn't particularly noticing, but I, this, this would be really good to have. <laughs> to be able to exercise my decisions according to God's point of view. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so please, Lord, give me wisdom and understanding spiritually delivered. Help me. I, man, I, I don't know the Bible good enough. Do I? You know, I've studied the Bible a lot. And every time I study it, I feel like I'm just getting started. Because <laughs> we're talking about God's perspective. That's pretty big. Well, what is God's purpose in filling a person with the knowledge of his will? You know, verse 10 in our text begins with the words, so that. (laughs) In other words, I'm praying that God will fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding for a purpose. This is aimed at something so that. Okay, what's the so that? You will walk 
in a manner worthy of the Lord. <sighs> well, this is so that you'll live a life worthy of the Lord. What on earth could that possibly mean? Here's something it does not mean. So that you will live a life that deserves what God has given you. Because if that were true, then he didn't give it to you. He traded you for it. So that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about living, and this is often how people comprehend this, to live a life worthy of the Lord is to sort of live up to the gift of God's grace in the gospel. No, no. It's to live a life that is reflective of that gift, not to live a life that deserves it. That's a very important distinction. So it's, uh, it doesn't mean walk in a manner deserving of the Lord, but a walk that is comparable to the walk of the Lord. Do you understand? In other words, how did Jesus walk? And I don't mean how well did he walk. I mean how. What did he do as a man? How did... Oh, so he did this thing we've been talking... He had this thing we've been talking about. And we could go look at various passages in John 5, 19... John 5, 30, John 8, 28, 29. He said this all the time. It's throughout the whole book of John. I only do what I see the Father doing. I never do anything independently. I always rely on my knowledge of his will. So Jesus was actually the one man who was full of the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual and wisdom and understanding. And he therefore behaved a certain way. And so Paul's praying that we would walk in a manner of the worthy of the Lord is, is to walk in a way that reflects the redeeming, sacrificial love of Christ. I'm going to say that again. Reflects the redeeming, sacrificial love of Christ. In other words, it's a gospel life. It's a, it's a life that radiates the good news. It's a life that does things like, because I'm secure, I'm courageous. That's how Jesus lived. That's how we live. This is about imitating Christ. Now, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in everything. <laughs> so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. So this way of living is governed by, well, what pleases God. I, I guess this is kind of like we're going in a circle here, aren't we? I'm filled with the knowledge of God's will so that I will live according to God's will. So I'm walking in a manner that pleases God. I know what pleases God so that I can live in a way that pleases God. Now, <clears throat> again, this is not in order that I would please God. 
Let me see if I can say that better. I'm be, I, here's, here's the way I can say it. Because I already please God in Christ, in other words, when God sees me, there's no condemnation. He is pleased with me because he has imputed to me the righteousness of his son. And so I am absolutely, perfectly accepted by holy, righteous God, even though I'm not, not yet righteous. <clears throat> okay, so I have total acceptance from God. I please God in that way. In Christ, I please him. Finding myself in that condition, I want to live a life that pleases him. So this is about the the path of my life. I want to do the things that please him. He's satisfied with me and he's patient with me. He knows I, some, I often choose a way that doesn't please him. But Paul's prayer is so that more and more your decisions reflect what pleases him. Because you are already in the position of God's favor. <laughs> yeah, right. It's all, and it always flows from Him. Remember, we. This is a prayer, not a commandment. Paul isn't saying, "Hey, fill yourself with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and then go about pleasing God in the way you behave." No, he's asking God. So we have to begin that with God as the source. And so we, because, we've, because we've put our faith in Christ, well, because Christ died for our sins and the Spirit of God brought us to him, we are in this position of God's favor. And so now we want the opportunity to live in a way that reflects that reality. Walk in a manner worthy, pleasing him. So, <clears throat> uh, there's four phrases here. <laughs> Sorry, this is kind of thick, but uh, <clears throat> that describe the worthy walk that pleases God. Here they are. There are we know these four phrases because they all have, they all have a particular verb form. So they all are kind of parallel. The first one is bearing fruit. <clears throat> bearing fruit. The second one is increasing in the knowledge of God. Oh, there's an upward spiral here now, isn't there? He's saying, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God <clears throat> so that you'll live in a certain way that will be increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, which will cause you to live in a certain way that will be increasing. <laughs> so this goes around and around. The third thing is uh, uh, strengthened with all power. That's, here's another way of saying that. Enabled in every capacity. Now that has a particular point enabled, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. 
So you're going to be strengthened in this worthy, walking, pleasing God life to be patient and steadfast. I'm going to explain more of it as once we get these four things. The fourth thing is joyously giving thanks. <laughs> joyously is an important word in that sentence. Joyously giving thanks. Happy gratitude. So those are the four things. Bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to God's power, to be patient and steadfast, and joyfully giving thanks. <clears throat> now the first two are in every good work. In other words, in the original language, it kind of goes like this. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects, in every good work, bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. In other words, it is in the practice of good works that we bear fruit and increase in the knowledge of God. And I don't want to take too long, but... Bearing fruit is to be productive in any worthwhile endeavor. Bearing fruit is improving someone's well-being. Anyone's in any way. It is putting someone in a position that they would be glad you're here. <laughs> That's bearing fruit. Productive means your good works are good. Now, sometimes they should be glad you're here, but they're not. Okay, so it's possible for you to be productive in improving someone's well-being and the person doesn't really recognize it or appreciate it. Oh, well, in that, in that case, you're acting even more like Jesus. Okay. And then increasing in the knowledge of God... When we practice doing what's good for people, we are practicing acting like God. You see this? In other words, Jesus came to exhibit the love of God to those who trust in him, to exhibit his love, okay, and how do I understand that? How do I understand the love of Christ? I work on imitating it, is one way. I can also understand it by just reading about it in the Bible, but also I really start to understand it when I try to do it. This is what Jesus said if you <laughs> the one who loves me, the one who keeps my commandments is the one who loves me. Oh, okay. So if I want to, Jesus, the commandment he gave was, uh, as I have loved you, love one another. Okay, so I'm going to practice. I'm going to try it. 
I'm going to think, well, where's an opportunity for me to act for someone's benefit, disregarding my own benefit? Can I do that? Where can I do that? Who can I do that for? And so in this way, I'm increasing in my knowledge of God. And again, the word knowledge here is this sort of personal relationship word. It's not, you know, increasing in my theological acuity, though that might be involved, probably will be. So I'm bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God in every good work. I get to know God by trying to exhibit the love of God. So uh, this is a sort of experimental process. Um, uh, It's the experimental exploration of the love of God in Christ. Oh, I see Jesus. Look, that's how... I think I see how Jesus did it. I'm going to try that, and then I'll understand him. I'll know him. Hmm. So, uh, then number three, enabled with every capacity according to his glorious might for the attaining of steadfastness and patience. Now the goal here is clearly steadfastness and patience. What that means is I'm strengthened to endure. Endure. And there's two things in mind here, the two different words, steadfastness and patience. One of them has to deal with difficult situations, and the other one has to deal with difficult people. (laughs) They had those in back then. (laughs) I need to recognize I'm one of the difficult people. And if I'm going to imitate the love of Christ, oh my goodness, think about Christ. The one man without sin living in this world. What an intensely frustrating experience that must have been. And yet he exhibits patience and obviously situation. I mean, he endured the cross for the joy set before him. Uh, so again, we're learning to, ref- to exhibit the love we've received. Hmm. Okay, and then joyously giving thanks. We should have an attitude of gratitude. An attitude of gratitude. You know, here's what Thanksgiving is for me. It's kind of like a rule I have to follow because I'm really probably no good at it. Well, if I'm not thankful, what's my real problem? Point three is really interesting because Mm. if you were to say strengthened in all power to people in the world, they would think, well, why would I be strengthened in all power? It would be to conquer and obtain. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Here, you're strengthened in all power to conquer and obtain? No. No. To To endure the... Conquering and obtaining of others. Yeah, that's right. It's amazing. That's right. It's kind of upside down from it's the world. For real. Uh, so joyously giving thanks. I think if I'm not thankful, it's probably because I don't really 
I'm at least momentarily forgetting the goodness of God's grace. Like, how good is it? Uh, and how, do, how is it that I'm not always sort of dancing everywhere I go? How is it that I don't look crazy because I'm happy because what God, of what God has done for me? Period. <laughs> like, I, I could not be more blessed and if I'm not thankful, it's because I'm forgetting. Mm. Okay, well, so we're, we're out of time, but uh, we, I had some concluding questions, but let's just summarize. The central request is that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. So God imparts to us the capacity to practice the truth and to put things together according to his point of view. Wow. Oh, if that could only be. Yeah, I agree with Paul's prayer. Lord, please. Because I cannot think of a better way to be. And then uh, that will produce uh, a way of life that pleases God and that exhibits his nature in the world that is image-bearing. And that will look like this. It'll be productive. It will, it will improve people's lives. It will be growing in its understanding of God by practice. It will be able to endure. And it will be thankful happy, thankful. <clears throat> it won't be able to stop saying, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Can't believe this. Thank you. So, that's the sort of life Paul's praying for. I'm thinking, wow, that would be a good life. <clears throat> I agree. And so, the, the question we come to then is, can you fill yourself with the knowledge of God's will? I have this as a yes or no question. Well, if you could do it all yourself, Paul wouldn't have to pray for it. And he is praying for it. So that would mean the answer is no. However, we've mentioned several things along the way here where we're active. And this is a question of likeness and image. This is a question of knowing God in order to behave a certain way, to be a certain way in the world. And so the answer is yes and no. What could you do to gain spiritual wisdom and understanding? Now this prayer, because it's a prayer, it envisions God imparting this, right? If I'm asking God, I'm saying, God, give me this spiritual wisdom and understanding. Uh, but while I'm asking, I might also think, is there anything I might do to cooperate in the process? And sure, there is. I could pray. <laughs> I can ask. I can pray this prayer. And I can uh, study the scriptures. I can engage in the life of the church where other people will help me with this. I can 
try to love people, imitating Christ. All of these things will cooperate with what God is doing in this. This is a process of spiritual development. It reminds me of the upward spiral in John 14. I mentioned this earlier, where the, the one who keeps my commandments is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And now this, that verse starts with keep his commandments. That's live a life worthy, you know. Uh, but that's not where the whole thing starts, is it? <laughs> if I'm going to keep his commandments, I would have had to know them. In other words, I got to hear from him first. And the scripture says we love because he loved us. We are not the initiators in this, in this love thing. So we love him, so we obey. And that verse says he responds to that by loving us and revealing himself to us more. Now, he had to start the whole thing by revealing himself to us in the first place. That's why this is an upward spiral. It goes around and around. So I know God's love and I show God's love to God by showing it to you. I know God's love. I'm getting I'm showing God's love, I'm giving, and when I do that, guess what happens? I know more of his love. Practicing. I'm practicing, I'm doing the very thing this prayer is envisioning. And so these are like two ways of talking about the same thing, where I'm receiving the blessing of God and I'm sharing it with others. I'm knowing God's love, I'm showing God's love. And when I show God's love, Guess what? I know something more about it. I learn more about how it functions. I understand it more personally. Uh, and so I can do this in the gaining of spiritual wisdom and understanding. Practice, practice, practice. I mean, practice makes wisdom is a practice, understanding is a practice. The last question here is, who do you know besides you that really needs to know God's will right now? Everybody. Yeah. So, you could pray this for anyone you know, everyone you know, in particular situations. Now, this isn't the shortcut. This isn't, oh, I don't know what to do. God, tell me your will and the lightning bolt from heaven. I mean, God can do that if necessary and has done and will do if necessary. But I think he's more interested in this long development process where we are being filled with his perspective and come to reflect his perspective to the people around us. That's a bigger project and he doesn't apparently just instantaneously make everyone a perfect representation of Jesus as soon as they come to faith in him he grows it in us very interesting uh, <clears throat> so we are I'm, I'm out of time but anyone got any comments or questions or things to 
wonder add whatever. I think uh, <clears throat> in scripture somewhere in the old New Testament, it says that the person who comes close to God, God comes close to him. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I think that's one thing we need to practice is stay close to God. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing I think is to open your ears and listen to the Holy Spirit. Because some, and I'm not an example of it, but occasionally, uh, I need a problem solved and over prayer and a period of time it's like somebody talking to me of how to do this thing mm -hmm. it describes exactly what to do and if you do that it comes out perfect mm -hmm. but it but, took patience and steadfastness to get there yeah, it, <laughs> does. it does yeah 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 we should uh we should be attentive. There's various ways we might do that. Prayer, uh, obviously God speaks in the scriptures. Uh, the, one of the problems with the scriptures is the problem of, a, of the correct application. In other words, I, I might understand this paragraph in the scripture and, and yet not see exactly how it could be lived out in the decision I'm making today. And uh, and in some cases, it's not even intended for that. You know, when the scripture is telling you the story of uh, Nehemiah, it, it's telling you how God got from Abraham to Jesus. It's not necessarily intended to give you any insight about your decision making today, except to see how God operates in the world and to be become more acquainted with that point of view. Uh, and so it's a question of attentiveness and practice and try it. Mm. <clears throat> try it. If you're if if you think a good way to live is to reflect the love of Christ into the world, well, get on with it. <laughs> now you might incorrectly reflect that you might try to reflect the love of Christ in the world and it didn't really work like you thought it would and then try again right. mm -hmm. and honestly if what you're doing is trying to reflect the love of Christ into the world it's going to be kind of rare that you mess things up mm. won't be never but if that's your objective and you have any understanding of the love of Christ that will be good and that will be fruitful well, that's where the wisdom comes in and how things fit together in a way right. that would be pleasing right yeah, yeah. okay well, thanks, guys. Let me uh, close with a word of prayer. Yeah. Father, thank you for this uh, gift you've given us in your word uh, of this prayer. Lord, we do ask that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will in spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we would walk in a way that pleases you. 
Um, Lord, thank you that this is a possibility because of the love and the sacrifice of Christ. Lord, we pray that his love would be reflected in our lives and in the life of our church together. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.